Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. You know, beginning of the year is always a good time to reflect on what came before and to anticipate what's to come. And uh, a lot of people make resolutions and they, they're expecting something new or better in the next year. And that's one of the reasons why the series for, for January is called New Year, New Yens. And that's a little bit hard for me to say, to be honest with you. Uh, but, uh, but I'm making myself. Uh, and for those of you that are watching online in other parts of the country, and you're wondering what in the world does yens mean, I don't know either. Um, so... <laughs> No, yens is just, it's the Western Pennsylvania slang. It's what we would say in the South as y'all. It's yens. That's what it is. And so we just give it a little bit of a Western PA flair as we got into that. But it's a, it's a funny name. But what we're doing over the course of this month is very serious because we believe God wants to see something different and new in us, birthed in us, uh, so that it changes us and our families and our communities and our region and ultimately our world. Uh, and so I'm excited for what we're going to walk through over the course of the next few weeks. Um, we're going to start today in John chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 31. It says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is a passage that a lot of people know, even if you're not religious, because uh, it's played out in pop culture and courtroom scenes and dramas. Uh, you know, you might have heard this passage. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and, and the word free here is exactly what you would expect it to mean. Uh, it means set free from captivity. So someone was in captivity and they're loosed from that captivity. Uh, and when we look down in this passage, um, just a little bit in the next verse, it, they have an interesting response because Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish uh, religious folks. These are people that are very moral, they're religious, and, and he's speaking to them, and he says this to them, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And their response is, in verse 33, they answered him, we're offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Because what they're saying is, we are free. You, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus, because we're free. And if I said that to you today, you might respond and say, hey, we're, we're Americans. We're free, right? We can come to church and we can own a gun. We can, right? We're free. I can vote. I can do, I can not vote. I can say what I want. All those kind of things. That's freedom. And so on the, on the surface, it appears that would be the case. And, and what they didn't understand is Jesus had a perspective that they didn't have. He saw things that were deeper than just the surface. So when Jesus says, You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He's got insight that they don't have. He sees things differently. And so for us today, it would be easy for us to go, no, 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 we're free. We understand freedom. Better than any nation in the world, we're free. And I think Jesus sees us differently than we see us. His perspective is a little different than ours is. There are, there are insights he has into our souls, into our hearts that, that we don't have. And so when he says, the truth will set you free. What he's talking about is, hey, if you'll know the truth, who is Jesus, I will set you free. Because Jesus is the truth. He is not some vague moral concept of truth. He is truth. Verse 34 says this, Jesus answered them. So they asked, how will we become free? We, we've already free. And Jesus answered them and says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he says everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Um, And the word that's translated as practiced, it's translated a number of different ways, but the gist of what he's saying is people who live in unrepentant sin are slaves to sin. Um, And unrepentant sin, I would define it this way. It is sin uh, that we acknowledge is in conflict with the Bible, but we don't really care. Because... Uh, well, million ways we could justify it because I deserve it because I deserve to cheat on my wife because my wife is a bad wife. No, you don't deserve to cheat on your wife. You need to make your, your marriage better, but you don't deserve to cheat on your wife. You don't deserve sin because we justify it all kinds of different ways. Well, it's not hurting anybody, so it's okay if I look at the porn. Well, no, it's not, right? So when we live in a lifestyle of sin, what we have to understand is we are slaves to sin. And I knew this would be a popular message. You, you, you were hoping this would be the way we'd start the year off, right? And so what Jesus is saying to them is, remember who he's talking to, religious, moral people. It, these are people you would want to live next door to you because they're good people. And he says to them, uh, you're slaves to sin. If you think I'm mean, you probably haven't read very much of what Jesus had to say, Right? Later in this chapter, if you read on later in this chapter, again, he's talking to religious moral people and he calls them sons of the devil. That's pretty direct, right? Like there's no mincing words there. So he says, if you're a slave to sin, if you practice sin, you're a slave to it. Um, So he doesn't really mess around when he says this. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Uh. There's a couple things I want us to look at here real quickly. Number one, uh, these weren't pagans he was talking to. This was religious people. So if you think, well, that doesn't apply to us, it does apply to us. Um, because unfortunately, churches are full of religious people. Uh, these religious people had no relationship with Jesus. They didn't acknowledge him as the son of God. And as a result of that, they didn't know the truth, and the truth couldn't set them free. Uh, and so churches across America are filled with moral people who believe there's a God but have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when, when Jesus preaches this message to the temple, he can preach it to us as well. Um, so we're not exempt from this message. The other thing I want us to see is we can be set free from sin. So if we're in bondage to sin specifically, there is hope that we can be set free from that sin. Now I will tell you this, um, it, Here at Summit Church, our doctrine is that we believe in progressive sanctification. And that's just a fancy way of saying, uh, when I accept Jesus as my Lord, um, I'm not perfect in that moment. That that my spirit and flesh are continually battling. And every day, the desire, my hope, and the goal is that every day, I look more and more like Jesus Christ. So I'm progressively changed into his image. Now, it doesn't happen immediately immediately. Um, Lord knows I'm not perfect. I know you guys think I am, but I'm not. Bad news, right? Uh, my wife can attest to that. I am not perfect. 
Uh, but every day, my goal and my hope is that I look a little more like Jesus than I did the day before. So that's what progressive sanctification is. So what it means is uh, I'm no longer a slave to sin. So I can't have two masters. I can't have, be a, Paul talks about being a slave to Christ. So we can't be a slave to Christ and a slave to sin. We can only have one master. So I'm a slave to Christ, but I'm continually battling my sinful nature, my flesh nature. Does that make sense? So every day, I'm pushing back against my tendencies to want to respond in certain ways or act a certain way or do certain things. Uh, that's part of who we are. And if we don't allow God to keep that at bay in our lives and, and push that back, then what happens is we eventually become slaves to our sin nature. We, we regress. We, we accept that as our lives. Um, and so Jesus makes us free from our sin being a slave to sin, but I really believe his desire wasn't just to save us as sinners and, and free us from the bondages of sin, but also free us from all the bondage that we have in our lives that just prevent us from becoming who God wants us to be. Because there's things in our lives that aren't necessarily sinful, but they're not healthy. Um, that could be things like fear or depression or failure or rejection or unforgiveness. These are all things that, that they can bind us up. And just as real as chains are, we can have chains on our soul that keep us from moving forward. They can lock us in place and prevent us from becoming the person that God wants us to be. Uh, as a pastor, um, I know sometimes there's this illusion that people who are on staff are more spiritual or they're better or whatever it might be. And I, hopefully we break those illusions down because we're all in this thing together. Uh, but... It's funny because there's times, and I'm sure you're like this too, there's times that I think, okay, I've got this under control. Um, man, I've got this forgiveness issue, and I've gotten through it though. I've forgiven. And then something will come along and remind me that I haven't forgiven as much as I should. Does that make sense? You, you, you'll get reminded about something. You'll see something pop up on social media. You, you'll run into someone, and then that feeling rises up, and you go, oh, gosh, God, I thought I'd forgiven, but I haven't forgiven. What that means is we got to guard our hearts because if we're not careful, we become slaves to that unforgiveness. Um, and so I think there are people all across America, but specifically even in our church, that there are just things we need to be free from. That Jesus didn't come and die simply to save us and let's go to heaven, but he came and died so that we could be free, so we could help set other people free as well. That all this begins in us. We give the devil a lot of credit um, for things we deal with and go through. I read on social media not long ago, someone posted this and they said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it happens because you're an idiot. <laughs> and that's true for me. Like, I've gotten myself into some jams, into some stupid things just because I was dumb. I was an idiot. Uh, and so sometimes things happen because I got myself in that position. And we like to blame the devil on a lot of things, but the truth is the devil is finite. He's a created being. There's one of him. And... There's plenty of us that act stupidly at times that I get myself into my own problems without the devil's help. And some of the issues I've got in my life have nothing to do with the devil directly. It has everything to do with me dealing with my wickedness and my own heart. And so what happens is we become enslaved to things and it's not the devil's fault. I mean, he's the, the father of all that, those things. But at the end of the day, it's me. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, greatest presidents in American history, uh, he, he gave... A speech in Springfield, Illinois, 
on January 27, 1838. It's known as the Lyceum Address. And this was about 13 years before he even took office. He was n- not well known, not regarded. He was just some guy in Illinois. And he gave this address and he said this in the course of this speech. He said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. And there's the spiritual implication here for us that we have to understand that it's not always the devil's fault. Sometimes we get ourselves into bad situations. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be bound up in things that we don't need to be bound up in. And we are slaves to things because we have chosen slavery many times. Sometimes we are victims. Uh, Sometimes we just choose it because it's more comfortable than, than being free. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to spend the rest of our time in in this passage. Matthew chapter 17, uh, starting in verse 14, Jesus had some of his disciples with him, and they kind of waded into this crowd of people, and he didn't even know what he was walking into. And it says in verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Uh, the word that's translated as seizures here, it's, it's probably not a great translation. Now, we look back now in hindsight and say he could have been having seizures, but they didn't have a diagnosis for epilepsy at the time. And so the word that's used to translate as seizures is actually, if it's literally translated, means lunatic. And uh, this is a word that we think it means crazy, but it's kind of a catch-all word. Have you ever known somebody who worked in an ER, or maybe they were a first responder, um, you know, EMT or fire department, or maybe a police officer, and they would say something like, uh, we're going to have a busy night because there's a full moon. Have you ever heard that before? Well, what they're talking about is this, maybe there's something to it, but this, this idea that the cycle of the moon influences human behavior. And there was this idea all the way back thousands of years ago that if there was a full moon, it could cause people to act weird. And that's where they get the term lunatic from. Um, And so what he's saying is, um, hey, there's something wrong with my boy and I don't know what's wrong with him. And I've tried to do everything I can and there's not a solution. I even brought him to your disciples and they couldn't do anything. What he was saying is, my son is bound up. My son is a slave to his condition. Can you help? Um, Now, you might not relate to that exactly, but you can probably understand being in a helpless situation. You can probably relate to being in a situation where you felt like you'd done everything you could do and there's nothing else to be done. And he showed up and goes, okay, Jesus, I need you to do something. I think we've all been there before. And it's interesting because Jesus responds here and he doesn't respond, he doesn't address the father, he addresses the disciples and this is what he says. And Jesus answered, oh faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. He rebukes his disciples in that moment. He dresses them down, right? And he uses these words, faithless and twisted. Uh, the word faithless, the Greek word is apistos, and it means without trust in God. So what he's basically telling his disciples is, uh, you couldn't do this because you lacked trust in God. You didn't trust that God could do it. Now, how do, how do we build trust? 
It's through relationship, through rapport. When you get to know someone, your trust level goes up, or it should go up. If you're around people and your trust level hasn't gone up, then there's probably something wrong with those people, right? He says, you're not spending time with God. You haven't trusted him enough to to see this happen. Now, I want to say this. Uh, In churches, we like formulas a lot of times. And so we like the formula of if you're a good person and you have enough faith and you you don't sin, then God's going to answer all your prayers. But that formula is not real world. It's not real life, because I've been in situations where I prayed and the person didn't get better. I've seen situations where a person prayed and their spouse still left them. What do you say at that point? Do you say, well, you just didn't believe enough? You didn't have enough faith? No. What I believe is um, that, that we don't truly fully understand all the circumstances behind that, but sometimes God doesn't respond to our prayer the way we'd like him to. And what we have to still understand is God is good regardless of how he responds to our prayers. We can trust him and trust his heart. And sometimes we have to to understand that sometimes he sees things we don't see because he is infinite. So if he doesn't answer my prayer the way I would like him to, it doesn't mean he's bad. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It just means there's something else. So when Jesus responds this way, um, he's letting them know, hey, there's, there's an issue here. But that's not always the case. So I just want to put you at ease if you're here today and maybe you've struggled with that idea. So he says, you faithless, and then he said twisted generation. The word twisted here, it's uh, diastrepho is the Greek word. And what it means is to distort, pervert, or oppose. Um, now there is an enemy to our soul and he is opposed to the work of God. But one of the ways he works in the world and in our lives is he doesn't doesn't bring us things that are blatantly untrue because we'd identify them. What he does is he takes things that are true and good and he twists them and distorts them and he changes them just enough where they look true, but they're not. Uh, Are there any cheapskates in the room? Cheapskate, a couple of you, yeah. You own it proudly. I like that. Um, I'm a cheapskate. I, I like, um, if, I, if I get groceries, I'm probably going to get the, the cereal in the bags. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on now. You people acting like you're all high rollers. Come on now. I never buy cereal in the bag. I always get it in the box. I don't think so. There's a reason that section is gigantic because we're all buying in the bags. We're all cheapskates. So you buy the cereal in the bag. What, it looks like the real cereal, doesn't it? They even package it, except for being in a bag. They use the same colors. Have you, I used to be physically addicted to Dr. Pepper. Does anybody else relate to something like that? Okay. So Dr. Pepper was my, oh, I drank it all the time. You think Pastor Ricky's testimony is good. I was addicted to Dr. Pepper, okay? <laughs> it was hardcore. <laughs> Those Flintstone vitamins, baby, they kept me rolling. Oh, Dr. Pepper and Flintstone vitamins, right? Um, so Dr. Pepper, I drank it all the time. A few years ago, during one of these fasts, I decided to get off Diet Dr. Pepper, and I went to Diet Dr. Pepper, because that's better. Anyway, (laughs) uh, so I I finally weaned myself down as a side note. I was Dr. Pepper, and during one of our fasts at the beginning of the year, went to Diet Dr. Pepper afterwards, which, yeah, I won't get diabetes, but cancer then. And then then I went off Diet Dr. Pepper and started drinking sweet tea, so I went back to diabetes. And then I went off of sweet tea, now I'm just unsweet tea, and that's where we've landed, just unsweet tea and water. Uh, So I don't know what's going to kill me now, but anyway, it'll be fine. (laughs) 
But if you walk through the grocery store, if you're looking for Dr. Pepper, you notice you'll see the section of Dr. Pepper, and then you'll find the generic section, right? And there's always some off-brand that's called like Dr. Thunder. (laughs) And they want you to believe it's just like Dr. Pepper, right? They will package it the same way. They'll use the same colors. They'll even use some of the same language. But it's not the same. I doubt Dr. Thunder even went to medical school, right? (laughs) So what are they doing? They're saying, oh, no, no, it's just as good. It's just as good. It's just cheaper. It costs you less. Isn't that better? And this is what the enemy does. He says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to take this truth. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to contort it just a little bit. And and then I'm going to package it and say, oh, it's just as good. It just costs you less. Doesn't that sound good? Who wouldn't want that? And we buy it. And this is what the enemy does. He, he, He twists the truth. He distorts, he perverts the truth because he's in opposition to who we are and who God wants us to be. So it goes on to say, Jesus rebuked the demon. So it wasn't just epilepsy. It wasn't just seizures. There was a demon present in this child. He rebukes the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. So what we see is that everywhere Jesus goes, people were being set free. (laughs) Everywhere people are receiving healing, uh, physical, spiritual, emotional healing, and he's setting people free. There's several instances where because of someone's physical infirmity, they were disallowed from worshiping or they were disallowed from being in fellowship because of their physical condition. So when Jesus brings physical healing to someone's body, he opens up their world again. He frees them. He looses them to be who God wants them to be. And this is what we see over and over and over. That's his desire. If you look back, one of the the earliest parts of his teaching ministry in Luke chapter four, he is in the temple and he goes up and he takes the scroll from Isaiah 61 and he reads from it and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So what he says is liberty for the captives. So those who are enslaved, Uh, my goal is to get them free. And then he says, liberty for those who are oppressed. And the word oppressed there means broken. And so much of our captivity and our slavery and our bondage in our lives comes from the brokenness in the world we live in. The, The situations we've walked through that now we're captive to. Maybe it was the words that were spoken over us years ago. Maybe it was a relationship that crushed us. Whatever it is, now we're held captive by those things. And Jesus says, one of my stated goals is to set people free who are captive. See, Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to rescue you and set you free. If you look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 17, where he calls out his disciples, if you look at it in the NIV, he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. (laughs) I'm telling you, Jesus was hardcore. He calls out his disciples, his own people, he calls them unbelieving and perverse. If you look at these words, unbelieving, just layman's definitions, basically means you're disconnected from God. Remember, um, he said they didn't trust God. They didn't have a relationship with God. They, they weren't going deep with God. So they were disconnected from God. That's what unbelieving is. And perverse means too connected to the world. Now, that's not popular for us to say things like that because um, we want to be able to say, we want our pastors to say, hey, it's okay to do what the world is doing and act like the world is acting and have the same values the world has. It's no big deal. As long as you love Jesus enough, it's all fine. But the truth is, Jesus calls us to a high standard. 
And he, and he says here, when his own followers, they weren't connected to God enough and they were too connected to the world. What does that mean? It just means that their affections were misdirected. They loved the things of the world more than they probably should have and they didn't have a high enough affection level for God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I won't read this passage, but um, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and he says, basically, hey, I would like to t- address you as mature believers, but you're not mature believers. In fact, he says, you're still, you're still nursing, is what he says. You're still babies in the faith, even though you shouldn't be babies in the faith. And he said, the reason is because you're too worldly. That's what he says. And the NIV actually uses the word, the word worldly. And, and what it means is, He's telling them, your affection for this world has stunted your spiritual growth. You should be much more mature than you are, but you're not because of your affection for the things that are temporary instead of the things that are eternal. And that should be a warning to us in the world we live in today that's so materialistic, that's driven by what we see and what we can hold and what we can touch, that that we should be warned about loving the things that are temporary as opposed to the things that are eternal. So he calls them out as worldly. Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 says this. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So, so what is the antidote? If, if we're a faithless and perverse generation, if we're disconnected from God and we are too connected to the world, what is the antidote to that? What do we need to do differently? And Jesus identifies that here. He said, if you want to see people free, because again, I don't think Jesus was mad at his disciples because they lacked faith. I think he was frustrated with his disciples because there was a little boy that needed to be set free. This boy's freedom was dependent on their faith. And so he was frustrated because there were people that needed to be set free that because they were too connected to the world and too disconnected from God, it wasn't happening. And if we're going to be honest, when we look at the world around us, I think our Heavenly Father is going, what are you doing? There are people that need to be set free all around you. What are you doing? Just disconnect and get connected with God. Build up your faith so that people can be set free. That's why Jesus was frustrated. He wasn't angry at his disciples. He, he, was, he was trying to protect this boy that needed freedom. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote he identifies in verse 21. He said, but this kind never come out except by prayer and fasting because this is what happens. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to God, helps us understand who he is, helps us understand his character and nature and his desire for us. It helps our values align with his values. That's what prayer does. It's not a wish list. It's not saying, God, I'm going to tell you all the stuff I need, and then I'm going to expect you to show up and take care of that for me. No. No. Prayer is spending time with God and and conforming to who he is. The second part of that is fasting. What does fasting do? Fasting disconnects us from the world. Um, you pick a thing. That's why we're pretty broad as far as what we ask you to fast. We want you to pray about it. 
Because I believe the Holy Spirit can be direct with you and go, hey, you need to give that up. It's going to help you disconnect from the world a little bit, whether it's a food. Um, for a lot of people, they've given up social media. That can be an awesome way to disconnect from the world it's by giving up social media for a month or so. But whatever it is, when we lay those things down and we, we disconnect from the world, we fill the void by connecting with God. So my challenge to you today is this. Uh, there's a couple things I want us to look at. Number one, as we fast, if you haven't begun this fast with us, jump in, get involved. Um, pray about it and ask God to show you what you need to lay down for the court rest of the, this fast. And I'll, I'll tell you this too, I didn't say this earlier. Um, we're observing Lent this year. And that's not something we always do. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. This year we are. So that'll start on February the 14th. So there's some guys in the room that are already thinking, I don't have to take my wife out for Valentine's now. You know, you still do. Take her out on the 13th, right? Um, but that'll start on the 14th. We're going to have a night of worship here on the 14th, and we're going to celebrate, and that's the way we're going to begin Lent together. And we're going to have another season of fasting. So basically the first quarter of this year, we're going to be in a corporate fast together as a church. And I'm believing it's going to help us disconnect from the world and I don't mean disconnect from the world like a commune, like we're a cult. I mean disconnect from the world and the influence of the world. But we're still going to influence the world, but we're just not going to be influenced by it as much. And we're going to connect with God in a greater way than ever before. And we're going to see freedom in people in our church, in this world, in our community. It's going to happen. So that'll begin in February. I just want to put that out there for you so you know about it. But as we get into this prayer and fasting, decide on the desired outcome. What do you want to see happen? What would you like God to do in your life? through the course of this fast. And if you don't have anything, that's okay. Come up with something. Ask God to reveal to you, what would you like to do in my life, God? And then ask yourself why you're motivated to see that happen, because our motives matter. Because um, the right thing done with the wrong motivation is still wrong. Um, Paul talks about that, or I'm sorry, James talks about that in, in his letter to the church, and he said, you don't ask, you don't have because you don't ask. And then when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motivation, so God's not going to answer your prayers. So we have to make sure, I just woke some of you up, didn't I? <laughs> From my perspective, I saw a whole bunch of you jump, so. God's reminding you, you got to ask. Um, so have the right motivation. So decide on desired outcome. Number two, commit to a plan of action. I've told you this before. The YMCA has a whole wing named after me. Because I've given them so much money and I've never asked them for anything. I never show up to work out, right? <laughs> but I've given them a whole bunch of money every month. Why? Because at one point I was like, okay, we're getting healthy. I'm going to do it, right? I had good intentions, but the action didn't follow the intentions. That's not, if I go to the cardiologist, he's going to be like, hey, you must have signed up for a gym membership, right? Your numbers are better. Nope, that's not going to change anything. You know what changes things? Action. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is in the book of Judges. And if you're a new believer, the book of Judges is insane. It's crazy. There's some nutso stories in that book. It's awesome. Uh, one of the stories I love is about a man named Ehud. Ehud was an Israelite and they were in captivity. The Bible says he was left-handed. And so um, that was significant because he actually fashioned a sword or a, a long dagger. And he put, it, um, he, he put it on his body in such a way that it probably wouldn't be noticed when he 
was searched by the guards. So he took a tribute to the king who was ruling over Moab, who was over Israel at the time. And he decided, God spoke to him, and he decided he was going to assassinate the king. And he was going to help set the people of Israel free from their captivity. Um, and so he had this plan. And he goes in with the tribute, and they have the money. And, and he goes in and says, oh, king, I have a secret for you. And let's be honest, don't we all like secrets? Oh, come on. It started when we were kids and somebody would say, I know somebody who likes you and be like, who is it? I can't tell you. Yeah, tell me, right? Don't we still like secrets? We, oh, oh, I'm too good for that. I'm not going to do it. Do you know why People Magazine sells like it does? Because people love secrets. They love to know who loves who and what celebrities getting divorced. We love to know that stuff. So it was no different. The king was like, I need to hear this secret. He kicks everybody out of the room and, and Ehud has this moment where he walks up to him and he could have decided, man, this is going to cost me too much if I do this. If I, if I take this man's life and do what I know I need to do, uh, it's going to set the nation free from their captivity, but it might cost me something. It might cause me to be uncomfortable. I might be in prison. I might be killed for what I'm doing. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do it. See, if he'd back out in that moment, we would have never read about him. But, but what he did is he took out his sword. He plunged it into the belly of Eglon, who was the king of Moab. And the Bible tells us that he was so fat that the fat actually rolled over the sword. How would you feel if you'd spent all day making that sword and then this dude takes it with him when he dies? I would be so frustrated. Like, somebody get in here and help me with this sword. I'm not leaving it here for this dude, right? <laughs> it was the first time I used it. <laughs> but he could have backed out, couldn't he? But he realized his conviction about, about what could be overcame his fear of what might happen, his desire for comfort. And he said, it is worth the risk to see people set free. It's worth what it's going to cost me to see people set free, and I'm going to do it. So he had a plan of action, and then he executed that plan. He did what he set out to do. So our plans don't matter if we don't execute our plans. So figure out what you're going to do and then do it. And then the last thing is expect God to respond. We pray so many prayers that we don't really expect God to answer. And whatever, God, and I don't know, if you want to, uh, it's fine. And when I read the Bible, I, I read a whole bunch of people that prayed with boldness and authority and power. They believed that God was going to respond. And, and that's how I feel like we need to pray as we enter into a, this fast. That's how we need to do it is we need to understand that God is going to show up and do something. In Isaiah chapter 58, um, the nation of Israel was in captivity, and they began a fast. And basically, God says, your fast stinks. That's what he basically said to them. That's the Mel paraphrased version, but that's what he said. He said, your fast is selfishly motivated. Your fast is designed to manipulate me to do what you want me to do, and that's not how I work. Because that's what we think sometimes. If I just go to church enough, if I pray some, if I, if I fast, then God's going to owe me big time. I'm giving up sugar, right? So God's going to owe me big if I do this. Well, that's not how it works. God doesn't owe us anything. And so God basically rebukes the nation of Israel. And this is what it says in Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? <laughs> he said, the, the fast I want to see will bear fruit, real fruit, spiritual fruit. 
The fast I want to see will bring freedom to you and the people around you. It's going to break the yokes of captivity. That's the fast I want to see. The fast I want to see is going to cause you to live generously with the people around you. You're going to see a need and instead of saying, man, somebody should do something about that. The government should do something about that. The church should do something about that. You're going to say, man, I should do something about that. God says, that's the kind of fast I want to see. The fast that changes us. And then we see results. In verse 8, it says, Then your, shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and the satisfying the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. Did you hear all those ifs and thens in there? Do you know what God is saying? I've got all these promises for you, but these promises are contingent on your obedience. If you do this, then I do this. See, we get frustrated with God and we go, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? And God's saying, because you're not being obedient. You haven't done your if, so I'm not gonna do my then. If you're not going to do your part, I'm not obligated to do my part. Why would I, as a father, I would be a terrible father if I would bless my girls in their disobedience. If every time they rebelled, I was like, well, that's okay. I know they're good girls. And I just continue to bless them and bless them and bless them. I would be a negligent father. I'd be selfish. And God is no different. God says, I'm not going to bless you when you're being disobedient. If then, if you do what I'm asking you to do, then I can bless you. Verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Remember, this was, uh, this was, they were in Babylonian captivity at this time. This was, we're talking about modern day Iran. There are not a lot of places of life and vibrancy in Iran. It's the desert. So he says, and the Lord will guide you continually, satisfying your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. He's saying here, we're going to be life. We're going to be a source of life for the people around us. He said, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is what God wants to do as we pray and fast together. He wants to do something in our lives, but he wants to do something in us that spills out into the world around us. This is not just some religious activity we take on because we have to. This is something we get to be a part of. See, I don't pray and fast to change God. I pray and fast to change me. God does not need to change. I pray and fast so that my will will conform to the will of God, so that my values will begin to conform to the values that God has, that when I see people, I see them the way God sees them. How does that happen? That happens when I disconnect from the world and I connect to God. It happens when I marginalize the influence of the world in my life and I focus on God's influence in me. That's how it happens for every single one of us. So why do we do this? That's why. Because I, I want to be free. I want our church to be free. I want God to do a work in us that spills out in our community, that changes our city and our county and our world. I hope you're with me on that. And it begins with us saying, I want to be free from sin. 
Uh, so if you're here today and maybe you're not walking with God, maybe you're here and you're like the, the people that I talked about early on. Um, they're religious and they're very moral, but they didn't know the truth. They didn't know Jesus. And because of that, they were not really set free. They were slaves to sin. Maybe you're here and that's you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond today to what God is doing in this place because I think God is working here. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. If you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? Um, what you described is me. I, I would consider myself religious. I'm a good person. But, but I recognize that I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I recognize that I don't really know him. I can't put my trust in him because I've never really, never really trusted him initially. And so I, I want to know him today. I want to make him Lord of my life. I want to be set free from the, the bondage of sin. If that's you, I'm not going to make you come forward. I just want to pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough with nobody looking around just to say, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And raise your hand real high where I can see it. You can put it right back down. Thanks. Yeah, two hands over here on my left. Three, I see you, ma'am. Praise God. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Over here on my right. Thank you, sir. Who else would say, pray for me? I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thanks. Up in the balcony. Awesome. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. I'd like every person in this room to repeat this prayer with me. Say this prayer out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying for my sins by dying on the cross. Today, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm asking you to set me free. Set me free from the bondage of sin. And help me live a life that brings glory to you. I'm never going back to my old ways or my old life. From this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. And I just want you to know we're here to help you. Um, we want to help you grow in your faith. So if, if you prayed that prayer today, um, we'd love to know about it. And we'd love to help you. So the simplest way to do that is by filling out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says salvation. On the other side, it says need prayer. If you would fill out the side that says salvation and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today, um, we're going to get in touch with you and we're going to help you take the next step. We're going to connect you with resources and relationships. They're going to help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online or maybe you're in the room but you can't reach one of the cards, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to, again, help you plug into relationships and resources. They're going to help you grow in your faith. Um, so thank you so much for praying that prayer. Uh, you are new today. You might not feel new. The, the circumstances around you might be the same old circumstances, but you're not walking through those circumstances alone. You've got a family here at this church that we're going to walk through it with you, but you're also walking through it with the Spirit of God as well. So we're excited for you, and we can't wait to see what God's going to do in you. Here's what's going to happen right now. Our worship team's going to lead us in a final song. We're going to worship together. While we do, 
uh, our prayer team is going to make their way forward and they're going to be available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer for any reason at all, uh, as we begin to sing, please step out from your seat and find one of our prayer team members to agree with you in prayer, uh, no matter what may be going on in your life. And then in just a moment, when we finish singing, uh, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach director. She's going to come and she'll close us out and dismiss us. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today. And as we're worshiping this final time, let's really reflect on what God has spoken to us today. Maybe God has spoken something specific to you. And just ask yourself, God, how do I apply that this week? What do I need to do this week to see this come to pass? Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. We'll see you later this week, hopefully. God bless you.